Trek fans out here doing the hand signal? Yeah, the, the Spock hand signal there. Well, you probably might remember this scene from the movie that came about in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Back then, there was a scene where the Federation was having a problem of too many people and not enough in, or habitable planets. And so the solution for the Federation was a device called the Genesis Project, where they would detonate this device on a barren land, and then instantaneously it would create lush vegetation, and the place would become habitable. Well, sounded good in Star Trek, Star Trek II, but when they came to Star Trek III, they realized that something had gone drastically wrong. The scientists who created the device had used an unstable element that the Federation had condemned. And soon after this happened, the core of the planet destabilized and volcanic eruptions covered the surface of the planet and it was destroyed. The ever-wise Spock had said beforehand, though, quote, as a matter of cosmic history, it has always been easier to, to, to destroy than to create. Spock was right. In fact, by the time we get to the 23rd century, if God so wills, like in Star Trek, it will become even clearer how right Spock was. What do I mean by that? Well, there was an interesting editorial that came out in the Wall Street Journal at the end of last year, written by a man named Eric Metaxas. And he makes this observation that in 1966, Time Magazine ran a, co a famous cover article with the question, is God dead? Is God dead? At the time, there was a growing belief that we really didn't need God to explain things in the world because science was explaining things more and more. In the same year, the famous astronomer Carl Sagan, you've heard of probably Carl Sagan before, he declared that there must be many forms of intelligent life in the universe. All you need are two criteria, the right kind of star and a planet the right distance away. So given the sheer number of stars, and he estimated that there would be about uh, a septillion, which is a, that's a one with 24 zeros behind it, there would be that many planets that would be possibly habitable for life. And so in the midst of all this, surely there is life on other planets. And all this discussion came about the SETI project. Have you heard of this? It's the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence which was created to listen out into the universe with these incredible devices to detect any kind of intelligent uh, communication. So it seemed at the time it would only be a short while until E.T. made an appearance, not just in a theater, but here on planet Earth. Well, a funny thing happened while we waited to find life elsewhere we discovered how unique life is on earth. Rather than science getting rid of God, as science grew in its knowledge of the universe, evidence mounted that life was remarkably rare and that the universe was precisely created 
to produce life. And indeed, it seems that the universe was created with human beings in mind. Last week, we started our short series called The Wonders of Creation, and we looked at the heavens. We saw that God has made a universe that is incomprehensibly vast. Current estimates run around 100 billion light years wide. And our universe is filled with stars. As we said last week, probably more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on planet Earth. The heavens are absolutely amazing, and they glorify God as Psalm 19 teaches. This week, we're going to look at the earth. Scripture often puts the two of these together, the heavens and the earth, but we split them up because I want us to soak in how glorious both of these things are that God has made. And as we zoom in on our home planet today, my hope is, is that you will see what you will never see our home the same way again, and you will never see its creator the same way again. So, let us start with just a very simple biblical declaration that God created the earth. The very first verse of the Bible declares this. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God's creation of the earth is all over the rest of Scripture. Psalm 102, verse 22 says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth. Psalm 119, verse 90 says, Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. The book of Job has a very fascinating conversation at the end of the book. Mostly God speaking to Job and Job listening. But in Job 38, verses 4 to 7, the Lord asked Job these questions. He says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The answer is certainly the case that Job did not know because he wasn't around. And he could not possibly know the answer to those questions. Neither could any of us know the answers to those questions because only God can know. Now I mentioned earlier, well, I got a little ahead of myself here, So, God has created the earth. That is what Scripture clearly indicates. But not only did He make the universe, and excuse me, make the earth, He made it precisely. In other words, God just didn't throw a random rock into the earth and somehow life came about. God's handiwork with our planet is intricate and it is stunning. And it is detail. And Scripture affirms this reality. Proverbs 3.19 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. The earth is skillfully made. And in particular, the Lord carefully made the earth for life. Isaiah 45.18 says, 
Thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. Now people for eons have looked around and said, it's just sort of obvious that things have an apparent sense of order and design. But as I mentioned earlier, it's really been like the last 50 years that scientists have realized not only does there appear to be this sense of design and order amongst living creatures around us, but the very fact that earth exists in the first place and that earth was paved and made a way for all of this life is astounding. It's astounding. They've discovered many criteria that had to be just right, just right for there to be life on earth. In fact, some scientists refer to Earth as the Goldilocks planet. Remember the story of Goldilocks? Well, if you don't, I'm going to give you a quick refresh. I had to refresh myself, so don't feel bad. I kind of knew, but all right, I need to refresh. So Goldilocks, the little girl, goes into the woods, and she comes upon a house, right? And she discovers things like the porridge and the chair and the bed. And in each case... The first two options weren't right, were they? But the third one was. So like, for example, the porridge. One case it was too hot. One case it was too cold. But the third bowl was just right, wasn't it? It's the same with the earth. Everything was created just right. And it wasn't just created for the universe or for the earth or for life. It was created with human beings in mind. If you ever follow these discussions, there's a phrase that's thrown out there. It's called the anthropic principle. The anthropic principle. Anthropic means relating to human beings. The entire universe, friends, was finely tuned. Again, not just for life, but for human life to exist. Humans, friends, we're not at the center of the universe in terms of location but we do seem to be at the very center of its purpose. Because there have to be these precise, exact parameters, criteria in place for us to even be sitting here today. Did you know that? It's not just some sort of random thing that happened. Let me just walk through some of these that scientists have shown us that show God's precise creation of the universe. To start with, we need a just right universe. We need a just right universe. All right? They tell us that there are four fundamental forces in the universe that affect every physical object. These forces are gravity, electromagnetic, the strong, and the weak nuclear force. And so from the very beginning of the universe, these constants had to be precisely calibrated. For the sake of time, let me just focus on gravity. If the constant for gravity had varied by one part in 10 to the 60th, life would not exist. One part in 10 to the 60th. That's a 10 with 60 zeros behind it. Okay? Did you get that? To give you an idea of how huge that is, our body has about 10 to the 14th cells. Think about all the cells in our body. To visualize this, what some people do is they say, imagine a dial. Maybe think back to your old car that had the radio dial, you know, that ran all the way across that. Imagine a huge dial 
with 10 to the 60 increments, all of these lines running across. If gravity was calibrated just one notch wrongly, there would be no life on this universe or on this planet. Did you get that? One notch to the right or to the left. You see, because if it was calibrated, um, if it was calibrated a little bit differently, uh, the universe would have expanded too rapidly and no stars would have formed or it would have, ca- it would have collapsed back on itself. That's just gravity. There are three other forces that, again, have to be precisely calibrated. Then there's the expansion rate of the universe. It's driven by the cosmological constant. If this constant varied by one part, not in 60, but in 120, 120 zeros behind it, if it varied by one part in 120 power, life would not exist because the universe would have expanded too rapidly or slowly. By the way, it's interesting, I'm just kind of thinking about it this week, how Scripture talks about how the Lord stretched forth the universe. About a dozen times it says that in the Scriptures, that He sort of stretched it forth like a curtain, for example. It says in Jeremiah 10, 12, It is He who made the universe by His power, who established the world by His wisdom, and by His understanding stretched out the heavens. One more thing about the universe. The mass and energy of the early universe had to be evenly and precisely distributed with things like neutrinos and photons and atoms and so on. If all of these weren't precisely calibrated, now get this number, 10 to the 10th to the 123rd, life would not exist. It's amazing. I mean, we can't even really comprehend these numbers. We just throw them out. But it is amazing how just we have a universe at all. It has been so precisely calibrated. But it doesn't just stop there. We'd have to have also a just right galaxy. Once the universe is created, you need other precise conditions for life to be possible. You need a just right galaxy. Remember, a galaxy is kind of like a subdivision. It's a self-contained system of stars that are held together by gravity. Well, some galaxies are too hot, some are too cold, some are too close to one another, some are too close to a huge galaxy that will mess up the gravitational attraction. But our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is just right. We also need a just right solar system. So now we're kind of zooming in on the Earth, I mean the sun and its planets, right? Well, to have a just right solar system, what do you need? You need a just right star. Notice I said star, not stars. We all remember the Star Wars at the end of the movie, right, where he looks out and there's the two suns sitting there. That was a cool scene, wasn't it? But that means, if that's the case, life wouldn't have existed on that planet. You need one star, okay? And so this star also has to be in the right location of the solar system. The Milky Way is shaped like a spiral. And so if our solar system was further out on the edges, it would not exist because it would have been susceptible to all sort of harmful circumstances. And if it had been closer to the center of the spiral, it wouldn't exist either. And the sun that we have is just the right size. It it can't be too large or too small. It can't emit too much radiation or too little radiation. If it emits too much, of course, you know that it'll fry everything around it. Did you know that the sun is just the right color? If it was too red or too blue, we would not have photosynthesis on our planet. 
In addition to the right star, you need just the right planets. Right? You can't have life on a star, but you need planets where life could exist. And so you need just the right planets. And notice that again, I said planets. You don't only just need one right planet, we'll get to in a second, but you need other planets around it. You need a sister planet, or maybe a big brother planet, better said. In other words, you need a big a planet that's located at the right distance from Earth, that is the right size, that will absorb all of the comets and asteroids that would otherwise hit planet Earth and make life impossible. Jupiter serves that purpose. They estimate that Jupiter sucks in about 10,000 asteroids and comets a year. You also need just the right moon. Our moon is just the right size, just the right distance from our planet. It stabilizes our orbit and produces tides so that our oceans aren't stagnant. So we've seen we, we need just the right universe, or, or universe, just the right galaxy, just the right solar system, but also we need just the right planet. And there's so many things here, it's amazing. I'll just mention some. To start, Earth is located just the right distance from the sun. Life, if there's to be life, requires liquid water. If it was too close, the water would evaporate. If it was too far, it would freeze. Venus and Mars are great examples of the bad situation they have. Earth has just the right mass. Okay? Just the right mass. Why is that important? Well, if it was a little bit smaller like the moon is, it wouldn't retain its atmosphere, right? And we need that atmosphere, don't we? Because if we didn't have that atmosphere, we would not have the oxygen that we breathe, not have the proper levels of carbon dioxide. We would not have the ozone layer, which destroys many things that escape and you know, the, the few meteorites that are bombarding us. We wouldn't have that atmosphere. If the Earth was a little bit bigger, then it would trap in gases like Jupiter does and we couldn't exist. But it's just the right size. It's also got just the right tilt on its axis. Do you know that the earth isn't sitting perfectly upright? It's got a tilt to it. If it was upright, then the equator would be much hotter and the poles would be much closer, uh, colder and you'd have all kinds of extremes in temperatures. If it was tilted even further, the poles would be exposed and it would be amazingly hot like other places. It has just the right rotation period. In other words, if the earth was going slower in terms of its rotation, it would, the days and the nights would be much longer. And again, we would have these unbearable extremes in temperature. If it went a lot faster, like most of the other planets in our solar system, we would have extreme windstorms. Jupiter has windstorms like 1,000 miles an hour, but not the earth. The earth has just the right crust. Just the right crust. It doesn't go Chicago. It doesn't go New York style. It is just the right style. It's thick enough to prevent volcanoes from dominating and thin enough to allow the atmosphere to retain oxygen. Again, just right. I've gone through some of these parameters. Are you kind of amazed by now? Let me tell you something. 
there's a whole lot more. They estimate there's over 200 of these kind of parameters. And friend, you need to understand that we need to have all of them for life to exist on this planet. Not just half of them or some of them. You have to have all of them to exist or we would not exist. The chances, as we just, we just talked about gravity and how crazy infinitesimally small that was. Can you imagine timesing all of these things together? You come up with a number that is so infinitesimally small that it's not even worth thinking about. It's not even a possibility. It is so ridiculous. It's interesting how even secular sources that discuss these things have to acknowledge the the uniqueness of Earth. I was looking at one of our kids' books this past week. It's the National Geographic Space Encyclopedia. And it was discussing some of these things. No reference to God, but it was interesting. They said about Earth, Earth is the perfect place for life. It is the perfect place for life. But the million-dollar question, friend, is why is it this way? Why is it this way? And you basically have two options. This infinitesimally small chance or creator God. I think the most plausible explanation is that it is God. John O'Keefe was a renowned astronomer. He did research for NASA, was called by some as the father of astrogeology. I have no idea what that is, but I'm certainly it was important. He achieved many awards, including the Goddard Space Flight Center's highest award. And he said these words. If the universe had not been made with the most exacting precision, we could never have come into existence. It is my belief that these circumstances indicate that the universe was created for man to live in. Friends, the evidence is not lacking when it comes to this discussion about the wonders of creation and we're focusing about life here on the earth. The evidence is not lacking. It's the complete opposite. It's overwhelming. There is no excuse not to believe in God. God is made well sure of that. But let me close by saying this. As Scripture teaches, it's not enough that we just believe that God exists. James 2.19 says, even the demons believe that God exists, and they shudder. Demons know that God exists, but they're not reconciled with Him. You see, they sinned and they fell, and they have no opportunity to be reconciled with this Creator God. We too have sinned like the demons. But unlike them, we have an opportunity to turn and to be reconciled to this marvelous Creator God. And the Scripture teaches that only happens when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus, as we talked about last week, all the persons of the Trinity are involved in creation, but 
Scripture indicates that Jesus is the principal agent of creation. And not only did He create the universe, but He sustains the universe. Hebrews 1.13 says that He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Think about that, friend. Jesus upholds all of these incredible scientific laws of nature that are so precise on a razor's edge. Jesus upholds all of them by the word of His power. And this same Jesus took on human flesh, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross so that our sins can be forgiven. And they do need to be forgiven. Because you see, friends, this Jesus who knows all the precise laws of nature, he also has, and this infinite knowledge of the, of the universe also has an acute awareness of all the evil things and sinful things that we think about and we say and we do. And because he is perfect in his nature and character and his holiness and justice, he will demand a retribution for the things that we have done in defiance of him. So we must turn from our sins and believe in Him before He returns. We must repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus. One last thing. The heavens and the earth, as we've seen these last two weeks, are absolutely incredible. But we need to remember that when Christ returns... He's actually going to destroy the heavens and the earth, isn't He? And He is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. You're not going to reside on a cloud strumming a harp for all of eternity. I don't know if some of you are counting on that. It sounds kind of boring, but God is going to recreate this whole thing. Recreate it. It's going to be a light this creation in a lot of ways, but I believe it's going to surpass it in many ways as well. And we know that our resurrected bodies will surpass this fallen flesh that we now carry. But the most glorious part of the new creation and the new heavens and the new earth will be the fact that God is going to dwell in our midst. And that glorious vision of the new heaven and new earth in Revelation 21, it says in verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. Friend, my question, my invitation to you is, will you be there to enjoy what Christ will make new? You must trust Him. You must turn your life to Him. You must confess your sins and believe that He is the Creator God and that He is the Redeemer God who loves you with a love that is infinite. And He makes a way for you to know Him and to have a relationship with Him. And He will guide your life just like He guides all of this universe. And He will guide your life into a life that is filled with peace and grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, even just studying these things this past week, 
it's just overwhelming. It's just overwhelming. What you have done. And we stand amazed in awe of your creation. And Lord, we have just probably scratched the surface of what you have done. We thank you, God, that you have made a place for us. We thank you that you have just been paving the way for us to be here in the first place. We thank you for this planet that we call home. We thank you that one day you will return and you will create a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell and you will dwell. Lord, my prayer is there's someone here today who doesn't know you. Maybe they believe that you exist. But Lord, may they also know you personally. And Scripture says that the way to know you personally is by trusting in you to forgive of your sins, to believe in Jesus. Lord, give them the heart of faith today that they need to not hide behind any kind of intellectual objections, Lord. As we've seen, the evidence is there. But may there be a humbling of the heart that we all need to recognize that you are the creator and we are the creature. We thank you that you've made this earth so fabulous, so glorious, so amazing. We give you all the praise and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.